The holiday season is a time for celebrating with family, friends, and colleagues. Quite often, those get-togethers involve alcohol. And for that reason, law enforcement officials say drunk driving is of particular concern right now. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Mothers Against Drunk Driving or MAD offers a wide range of advice to ensure the holiday season is as safe as possible on the roads. Chief among those tips is a message we've heard time and time again. Designate a sober driver before celebrations begin. Tom McCoy is the executive director of MAD Long Island. Tom, thanks for joining us. It's good to have you on the phone, George. Let's not assume that everyone knows the law, so can you give us a primer on what the law states when it comes to drunk driving? Yeah, the uh, idea is not to drink and drive. Uh, if you had one drink, it's not against the law, but it's going to impair your, your ability to drive. Once you have you know, enough drinks to raise your blood alcohol level to 0.08, you're you're now breaking the law. Are you surprised that people are still getting behind the wheel after a few drinks, considering how far we've come in terms of the education about the dangers of drunk driving? You know, Georgia, it, it is surprising. I mean, there's over 50,000 DWI arrests in New York State. You know, New York City has 11,000. I mean, it, it kind of blows your mind when, when you know everybody's been taught that you don't drink and drive. Where do you think the disconnect is there, Tom? I think it's cultural. I think uh, as a culture, you know, we're very alcohol-oriented. We celebrate with alcohol. We Everything from weddings to wakes, you know. And so it's built in that you're going to drink at some point or another. And so we have to plan, how, if we're going to drink, which is fine, not to drive. You know, we got to get those taxis, those limos, and those designated drivers put in place. Tom, you mentioned those statistics, but do you know whether young people are the biggest offenders, or is it all age groups? It's all age groups, and it even even tends to be your uh, middle-aged adults, you know, from 30 to 40, uh, tends to be a, a large group. Um, but young people, the problem with young people is they're just learning how to drive. And, you know, they don't need any distractions, be it alcohol or texting or anything else, uh, until they really get some uh, time under their belt relative to driving. Are drunk driving laws tough enough, in your opinion? They are. The laws are tough, but they, there are loopholes, and those loopholes need to be closed. For example, we have a law that says if you're convicted of drunk driving, you're going to get an ignition interlock put in your car, so you will never not be able to drive that car with any alcohol in your system. But our offenders uh, are just giving their cars to their brothers and still driving. So that's a loophole. So that law has to be toughened up a little bit more where we actually say any car you drive uh, has to have an interlock in it. What is your primary mission at MAD? We want to stop drunk driving. We want to assist the victims of this violent crime. And we want to prevent underage drinking. What kind of support do you offer victims of drunk driving? We have a victim advocacy program, which serves, oh, right here in New York, we probably serve 350 victims a year. Um, across the country, there's a victim served every few minutes. Um, we have volunteers and staff that reach out when there is a crash, when there is a loss, and uh, help them with their grief, help them with their court process, which is very confusing to them, because remember, the offender gets the advantage in our system of law. 
innocent until proven guilty, and the victim isn't even addressed in our in our system of law until the very end of the process. And so it's it's kind of a heartbreak where they not only lose a loved one, but then they get pushed aside by our legal system. So it it takes a lot to get them through all that. And then after the fact, after the sentencing, after the years pass, there's still that tremendous hole in their lives and in their family. And we try and help them remember and memorialize and, and give them a useful purpose in life by working with us. Do you advocate, Tom, that victims of drunk drivers share their stories, go public, so people know the devastation that drunk driving causes? Absolutely. In fact, we have something called a victim impact panel, which we work with the DAs in every county, uh, in both Nassau, Suffolk, and in uh, all of the New York City boroughs, uh, up, up in Westchester, up through the New York State. And offenders of DWIs are mandated to go to these classes, and we have victims come and tell their story to this audience of people who have had DWIs in the hope that the sadness of their story is going to motivate them not to repeat. Do you see a lot of remorse after those sessions? Tears. Mm. Tears. In fact, we hand out feedback forms, and sometimes you see these tough hombres uh, in the room, and you wonder if you're ever going to get through to them, and they walk out with tears in their eyes and hand you a sheet that tells you how moved they are by the experience. Do you have any sympathy for the drunk driver and the consequences they face? I don't know if sympathy is is the right word. Um, You know, when you break the law and you endanger everybody else's life, it's kind of a selfish thing to do. And so I wouldn't say I have sympathy for them. What I do have is is hope that we can keep them from repeating. Here we are in the midst of the holiday season. Is this the worst time of year for drunk driving? It is. uh, In fact, we've seen an increase in deaths during the holidays over the past few years. Overall, across the country, deaths from drunk driving have gone down slightly. You know, there's about 10,000 a year now. Um, But we've seen an increase during the holiday period, you know, specifically the day after Thanksgiving, the day after Christmas, the day of Christmas, Um, which is really a horrible thing when you think of the time of year you you least want to lose someone, least want to have this tragedy. That's when the, the, the horrible things are happening. Do you find that these days drinking establishments are any more responsible, noticing that someone sitting at the bar has had too many and asking them whether they are going to drive home? Anecdotally, I can say yes. You know, we don't have data on that, but I I believe that the establishments are very concerned about this. I mean, you you see the drink responsible campaigns that they put out. Um, So I, I do think that everybody cares about this, especially those in the business. All right, Tom, any other words of wisdom that you can leave us with as we, again, go further into the holiday season and people will be going to those holiday parties and no doubt having some alcohol? Enjoy. Enjoy yourselves, but make make sure you have a designated driver. And if you see Uncle Charlie having too much, you've got to take his keys. Tom, thanks so much for your time. Okay, George. Tom McCoy is the executive director of MAD Long Island. Manhattan resident Lenny Rosado's 11-year-old daughter died at the hands of a drunk driver in October of 2009. But he didn't let her die in vain. Rosado fought hard in Albany for tougher laws against drunk driving and won. He's with us now on the phone. Lenny, thanks for taking the time. No problem. Anytime. First of all, tell me what kind of kid Leandra was. Oh, my daughter was, you know, she's just a joyful young girl, you know, she she was very bubbly, she was very humble, you know, she was a very, uh, very, you know, carefree young girl, she always looked out for her friends, and 
she enjoyed having like you know enjoying life and she was into you know she loved singing she loved acting and um she just she just loved life in general for for young you know 11 year old girl tell me about the circumstances surrounding her death well you know i, I got the call that a bunch of girls because she went over to a slumber party i had a call from um one of the parents of the of the girls that she was with in the vehicle that they were all taken to the hospital there was a you know, an accident. So when I got to the hospital, you know, the doctors more or less told me they had seven sick children. They didn't use the word injured. And they said one of the children was, you know, very sick. So when I asked them who it was, was it my daughter? You know, they kind of asked me, are you, you know, Mr. Leonardo Rosado? And is your daughter Leandro Rosado? And I said, yes. So they kind of told me that, well, it was your daughter who was, uh, you know, brought in severely sick. And they told me that she didn't make it. So when I, I didn't get the details at the hospital as to what happened um, until I got home, and the media, you know, came to my house about seven thirty in the morning. They started coming one after the other, every news channel, the papers, and that's when I got word that my daughter's um, friend's mother was intoxicated and you know driving at the speeds of. 65, 70 miles an hour on a, you know, 45-mile-per-hour zone on the highway. They were on the Henry Hudson? Henry Hudson Parkway, and uh, according to uh, a couple of young girls who were at the hospital, you know, their, the mother, the young lady was speeding. She was obviously intoxicated. One of the things that was told, she told the girls before, I guess, she lost control of the car was, raise your hand if you think we're going to, you know, we're going to crash or get home safe. Mm. And apparently she lost control, and I was told the car flipped over a couple of times um, before it came, um, you know, hit against a tree. I mean, if that tree wasn't there, the car probably would just kept rolling over a couple more times. And apparently my daughter was one of three girls who were thrown out the vehicle and the only one who went into a cardiac arrest at the scene. What happened to the driver? What happened to this woman? She, you know, she suffered various injuries. She got arrested there at the scene because they did the breathalyzer and she had an alcohol content of 0.14. And, um... You know, they took her in, and apparently, you know, I think from the from about a year after my daughter's passing, uh, she pleaded guilty, and she was convicted for four to twelve years, which was a, a misdemeanor at that point. You know. Now it's a felony under Leandra's law. Yeah, now it's a felony under Leandra's law. It's a felony to be drunk at the wheel with kids in the car. Right. So with increased penalties if a child is killed or injured. Right. So basically, now anyone you know, falls into this category and a child dies, instead of the 4 to 12 years that uh, this woman is serving, uh, then that individual will serve 15 to 25 years. Have you had any communication with her? I haven't had no communication with her, you know, since that time. Um, um, I, you know, I, I have kept close ties, bonds with her daughter, who actually was a friend of my daughter. And, you know, and I've kind of always, every once in a while I run into her and I, you know, she's going through a lot and I told her it wasn't her fault, you know. Um, her mother made a very terrible, terrible decision that night. But I haven't heard from her, never made contact from her, and I know she's up for a probation next year. Are you holding a lot of anger, Lenny, towards her? Oh, man, I hold a lot of anger. I mean, it's, it's, not, as, it's not as strong as it was the first year and a half or two, but it's still there, you know. I mean, I, I still walk around and, and you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, if I, if I was able to, to see her in person, I mean, my hands would be all over her neck and, 
uh, I, I have a lot of anger for him. I'm not ready to give up that anger yet. Did you channel at least some of that anger into making sure that laws were strengthened in New York State, to making sure that Leandra's law was passed in Albany? Oh, definitely. You know, anger anger was my driven force when I went to Albany. Um, that's what kept me going, kept me on my foot, because, you know, I wanted people to understand that, you know, I just didn't lose a child, or I didn't, you know, I lost my only child. I lost my, my you know, she was my best friend. She was my companion. She was my bread and butter. And I just didn't want another parent to go through and walk in the shoes that I walked in, losing a child, you know, who hadn't even got the chance to live her life. And I just felt that somebody needed to do something and, you know, just protect, you know, children. Because children themselves, in general, at that age, you know, they didn't have a voice to speak up for. So it definitely anger kept me going, um, pushing for, for, you know, Leander's law. When that law was passed, did that bring you some sense of closure? It, it brought me a little sense of closure. You know, the thing that really touched me was that, yes, you know, we were able to get a bipartisan, you know, from the, uh, I mean, the politicians were awesome out there in Albany from, from both um, the Senate and, and the Assembly coming together, voting, both, voting, you know, unanimously on it. And it gave me closure because it made me feel that, I didn't let my daughter down because I did tell my daughter before, you know, this bill was signed and passed that I was going to make sure that another child was not going to go through, you know, what, what she went through and or another parent was going to lose another child to, you know, this type of an incident. Leandra's law also requires convicted drunk drivers to have ignition interlock systems in their vehicles, right? Yes, it does. Um, that's one of the greatest, you know, piece of assets that we include into this law, which you know, it's it's great. I mean, I, um, we, we did find loopholes in it right now, which we're still trying to work on, putting a second piece to, to the law. But um, it was something that they should have done years ago out here in the state of New York. So we were, you know, really happy that, you know, that that was put in, into the part of the law and, you know, that now people are convicted, you know, drunk driving were able to get a breathalyzer in the vehicle. I hear sirens going off behind you there, Lenny, where you are in Manhattan. Does the sound of sirens bother you at all? Um, I, you know, it, it, it does, but what bothers me more is when I see, you know, because not only that, you know, my daughter's uh, died because of drunk driving, but when I read and, 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 you know, the papers on the Internet and TV of another person, you know, being uh, arrested for drunk driving or children in the car, that really angers me, you know, when I see uh, kids being killed, you know, because of irresponsible parents or irresponsible adults. You know, it angers me more. It angers me more to try to do more than what I'm doing now. Is there more to be done, Lenny, more to be done to make the streets safer, to protect people from drunk oh, driving? Oh, yes, more than big time. I mean, I, I you know, I know I've got a, a big boy ahead of me. I've got big plans, and... You know, I, I think, I, I just feel we're not done in general. It's, you know, Leander's Law is a big piece of the state of New York, but I'm really pushing, and, you know, and, and I know it's going to be, it's not going to be an overnight thing, but I'm really pushing to, to hopefully, you know, that we can make this a nationwide thing, you know, that we can, across the board, all over this country, protect, you know, children under this law, so that way we, we don't put our kids in harm's way, because these are kids, again, that need a voice. Lenny, I thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you so much. Lenny Rosado's 11-year-old's daughter died in a drunk driving accident in 2009. State Senator Charles Fruscillo of Long Island worked with Rosado to stiffen penalties against people who drive drunk with kids in the car. Senator Fruscillo, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Now, you are known as a champion of stronger drunk driving laws. Why is this issue so important to you? You know, when I first got elected uh, back in uh, 1998, I met two women, Marge Lee, who heads up MAD, and, uh, and Dina Cohn, who they both headed up MAD at the time, Mothers Against Drunk Driving on Long Island. And they told me about the tragedies of drunk driving, how they took their children. And ever since that, I took up the cause. I have no personal story, but these two women have really affected uh, my life, and I figured it's a journey that I have to do whatever I can to enact stronger laws in New York State. What piece of legislation are you proudest of to date? Well, the first one I authored back in 2002 was .08, where we lowered the blood alcohol level from um, .10 to .08. You know, and since that time, George, we've had significant changes in the laws, and everyone um, has a very important meaning, and unfortunately, uh, most of them have come out of tragedies. I know that you also helped to see Leandra's law through. Yeah, Leandra's law was, uh, again, as, as a result of a tragedy, this young girl, Leandra, uh, Rosado, who had, was killed um, at the hands of somebody who was driving a car drunk. And uh, her father, Lenny Rosado, really has been a champion. And um, we have a new law in the books that now requires interlock provisions to uh, all DWI offenders, but also felony offenders for those who drive drunk with a uh, child in the back of the car or in the car. I know that some people talk about a loophole when it comes to that requirement that people convicted of drunk driving have to have these ignition interlock systems, saying that they go ahead and use someone else's car. They don't just use theirs. So how do you get around that? Well, what they're doing is they found an unintended loophole that if somebody's convicted of drunk driving, they just transfer the ownership, the registration of a car to somebody else and saying, I don't own a car. So in this, you know, we've uh, tried to close that loophole. In this past legislative session uh, earlier this year, the Senate passed, uh, the provision that closes that loophole, and it says that if you're going to transfer that car, you can have an ankle bracelet on for six months, and you're not going to get around an ig- ignition interlock system or doing nothing. So we passed it in the Senate. The Assembly hasn't taken it up. They have to get on board, take it up, and close the loophole. Senator, recently we've seen instances in which school bus drivers were found to be drunk behind the wheel. Now, what can be done to make sure that doesn't happen? Well, that's shocking uh, just to even say that, that, you know, you you put the trust of your kids on a school bus to a school bus driver, and they're driving drunk. And we've seen too many instances this past summer. And what we're going to do when we go back is move legislation that would require ignition interlock devices in any or all school buses manufactured after a certain date. It's the first line of defense to, to help and protect defenseless children. What about educating young people not to get behind the wheel drunk? Do you think that we're doing enough there? You know, it's never enough, but I will say the advocacy groups are working hard. There are so many across the state and the metropolitan area, MED, and other groups that are out there all the time, and we do speaking engagements um, in schools throughout uh, Long Island and New York City. It's never enough, and you have to keep reminding them of the message that uh, you don't get behind a wheel. And, you know, George, it's common sense, but you have to keep saying it. Don't get behind the wheel drunk. You know, don't make that choice to go out there and, and get in that car and, let that pose as a weapon to potentially kill somebody. So we always have to keep up the advocacy. The holiday season is upon us, and a lot of people will no doubt be faced with that choice. And hopefully they make the right choice. And, you know, we hear it on the radio every single day, read it in the papers and see it on TV, that there's another crash and uh, somebody's driving drunk. 
we do whatever we can on a legislative level with the laws, but people have to take the responsibility in their own hands. And it's a simple message. Don't drink and drive. Don't make that choice where you could potentially kill somebody or yourself. All right, Senator, anything else you'd like to add? That's good. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you. State Senator Charles Fuscillo of Long Island. Due to the efforts of lawmakers like Senator Fuscillo, drunk driving laws in New York are as stiff as ever. But those accused of drunk driving are still entitled to a fair legal process. Ronald Meltzer is a DWI defense lawyer here in New York City. Ronald, I appreciate you taking the time. Yes, uh, glad to be with you, George. Thank you. Now, you devote your law practice almost exclusively to DWI cases? Yes. I, my, I'm, my practice is focused on DWI, but I also handle other criminal cases. But uh, DWI is definitely my specialty. The good thing about handling a DWI case in uh, New York City is you get a video uh, in the police precinct, uh, with, normally anyway, as a rule of thumb, with every uh, DWI arrest, uh, the uh, motorist is brought to the precinct and uh, given a breath test in a video. And uh, this is good because uh, you're able to see uh, if the operator is, if there are any issues regarding the breath testing. And also, after the breath test, the uh, police officer, a, a trained highway officer, gives coordination tests in front of a video camera, and uh, that consists of walking up and down a straight line, balancing on one leg for 30 seconds, and uh, closing your eyes and touching finger to nose with your head back upon the officer's uh, instructions. So if the uh, motorist appears completely sober, in the video, you know, that would uh, be a, uh, a very defensible case, obviously. I'm curious, what percentage of cases that you represent would you say are thrown out because of something like that? Oh, uh, cases don't really get thrown out very often. Uh, there would have to be something, uh, you know, that's not quite the word. You can, uh, the, the district attorney's office will not just dismiss a DWI case willy nilly. Uh, the very these are cases are very unpopular politically for obvious reasons. Obviously, drinking and driving is a terrible thing, and uh, they're all bad accidents, which creates very bad publicity. And uh, normally, the trend is for uh, politicians and uh, to make uh, urge for t- and legislators to make tougher and tougher anti DWI laws. The problem can be is when the uh, innocent motorist gets caught up in this police dragnet. So give me an example, if you will, of how someone who wasn't, in fact, drunk does get caught up in an instance like this and is accused of drunk driving. How does that happen? The problem is it's a, a subjective opinion on the part of the arresting officer. On almost all the DWI cases, or in very many, the officer will report that the motorist has slurred speech, is unsteady on his feet, bloodshot, watery eyes, odor of alcohol. Those are uh, subjective opinions, and, some, and, you, and thankfully, uh, often you could have a video uh, which would show, which would contradict those observations. Are there cases that you just won't take? Um, look, if someone is uh, very drunk. Not not because of – there's really uh, no reason to reject uh, a case because if someone is very drunk and they appear very drunk in the video, there's evidence against them. You know, that's a case that they, they should plead. You know, should work out the best possible plea deal with the prosecutor. They still have rights. Uh, you still can't rely on the prosecutor or the police to get everything right. 
uh, you still need a defense attorney to uh, thrash everything out and to weed out the uh, good evidence from the bad evidence, the correct uh, statements from the false statements, the correct application from the, of the law from the in, incorrect application. So, you know, generally, uh, you know, I don't understand the, the question really. I mean, under what con- circumstances do you think I should not take the case? Well, if you saw that someone was blatantly drunk, clearly falling all over themselves, how do you represent a case like that? That's the question. Well, if, like, for example, if there was a video of the person uh, acting drunk, falling all over themselves. Yeah, if you had something like that. Yes. Uh, well, obviously, that would not be a good case to take to trial because you're likely to lose. So I would uh, speak to the prosecutor and try to get, you know, uh, negotiate some kind of a, a plea, which means pleading guilty. Maybe, you know, maybe there were some mitigating uh, factors, and I would try to get the best sentence, the guilty plea, and sentence for the client. Are the laws too strict, do you think? No, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't want to say laws are too strict, but the uh, rules, the application of the laws uh, are very often very unfair. Uh, I could give you an example, George. Mm, go ahead. For, well, first of all, let's say um, in, in New York State, I know this is going to be shocking to you, but no breath test in New York State is uh, f- would be considered forensically reliable by anyone who knows anything about breath testing. Hmm. And uh, why you're saying what what am, what am I saying? Right. Well, in New York, they only give one breath sample, right? They, they you blow into the breath test machine, and there's one breath reading, breath test reading, one breath sample. Uh, in most states in the country, the majority of states, they require two breath tests, two breath samples. In other words, uh, after you take the first breath test and get a reading, two to ten minutes after the first breath sample, the DWI suspect or the motorist blows into the breath test machine and they get another reading. Now, those two readings have to be within .02 of each other. For example, if the first reading was a .10, which is uh, 0.10% grams uh, of alcohol per deciliter of blood, the second reading would have to be anywhere from a .08 to a .12 in order for that test to be acceptable. In other words, there's a second reading which which confirms the first breath test reading. There was too many errors in breath alcohol analysis not to have a uh, confirming a duplicate breath sample to confirm the results of the first breath sample. So New York is a what's called a, a one-test state, and uh, really there's no other – the best way I could describe that is kind of a rogue state. Is that taken into consideration – I'm sorry, is that taken into consideration by a judge, do you think? No, the breath test is admissible with one breath sample. And uh, the defense lawyer usually is allowed, you know, can make that argument at a trial and present evidence, expert testimony, that there should be a duplicate breath testing, and uh, it's not forensically reliable. This is unanimous in the scientific community, by the way. You know, of course drunk driving is unpopular and society should not tolerate drunk drivers, but also, you know, we have a strong uh, constitutional traditions in our country and protections for the citizen. 
which is the right to a trial and the right to the uh, prosecution has the burden of proof, and they have to uh, the motorist, the citizen accused, has to be proven guilty by proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So, um, you know, that's what's important. Yeah, that, that being someone said, gets a fair trial. Sure. That being said, though, Ronald, how do people react when they find out that you represent people accused of drunk driving? Uh, I think if you're insinuating, I think uh, I'm just wondering, maybe if no, you're if vilified, if, if your if position the is vilified, is yeah. that it's a, a evil thing or right. bad that I'm helping drunk driving. That that would be for that. You know, I don't get that kind of reaction at all because that's not what you're doing. In fact, you say, "Look, uh, George, um, lawyers don't let people go; juries do." So that would be my my. Uh, answer is, uh, you know, the prosecutor is making his or her arguments to the best of his or her ability, and the defense is uh, making the defense and pointing out the arguments uh, that's it, that, you know, trying to raise reasonable doubt about the evidence very often, uh, very with, you know, justifiably. And it's up to the jury to determine uh, if the prosecution has met their burden of proof. The criminal, you know, it's a, it's a, the criminal defense lawyer is the only type of lawyer uh, referenced by the United States Constitution. So it's really, you, it's re- really would not be workable for just the police to decide who's guilty and the prosecutor uh, without the input of the uh, criminal defense lawyer to represent the uh, accused. Sure, I was just wondering whether you thought this type of position was vilified in the eyes of the no, general public. No, no, actually, I get a lot of uh, people understand. You know when they start hearing about uh you know uh you know the what the evidence and and uh that the breath test is only an estimate and really uh it it makes many as, as certain assumptions you know i don't promote drinking i would say avoid it uh like the play because even if you're innocent and sober just having consumed some alcohol uh, and driving, years, anyone could be uh, arrested and prosecuted for DWI. Ronald, thanks so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. You're welcome, George. Ronald Meltzer is a DWI defense attorney here in New York City. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to senior producer Morlene Chin and producer Julie Clark. Have a happy and safe weekend. <laughs>